millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections, brought to you as ever by the Breadcoms Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilamus. With the release of Paramount Plus's new 10-part miniseries, The Offer, I was presented with an offer I couldn't refuse, and that was to cover it on this here podcast. So over the next 10 weeks, I'll be joined by my very own Mario Puzo and my Francis Ford Coppola, Will Chich, as we deep dive each episode of the 10-part series. We'll drink wine, eat pasta, and decide, is it best to leave the gun and take the offer, or is this show just a horse's head in Jack Waltz's bed? So, Will, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. No worries. You're here for the, you're here for the long haul, baby. You're here for, for, for 10 weeks. I am. I've got my wine. Yes. yes. So... Right, so yeah, so what we're going to be doing each week, we're, me, me and Will are going to be drinking a, a different red wine, or oh, white wine maybe, I don't know, sure, maybe we'll mix out, maybe we have a white wine week if we're feeling fruity, uh, but we'll be, yeah, we'll be drinking a different wine and uh, getting progressively probably more pissed as the recording uh, goes on, but uh, let's start, let's start this episode off before we get into um, what you know about the kind of the making of the Godfather and your relationship to the Godfather itself? Let's talk about our wine. So, 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 Will, what what wine have you got there this week? Tell us about the what it is. Uh, what what vintage have we we got this week? Vintage. It's a vintage twenty twenty one, and it's a Merlot, southeastern Australia. Uh, yeah, uh, it's McGuigan's private bin. Uh, I think it cost. Seven pounds. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Oh. Right. So, listeners, you need to guess right now: is the next bottle of wine gonna be higher or lower in price? I have gone for a Vea Rosa Temporalino Shiraz 2020, and it says at the bottom here, Bodega della Familia, which feels very, feels very. Godfather, right? That feels like a kind of Godfather. I don't know. It feels. I'm not sure what that means. Like a part of the family, maybe. Like it feels. As it sounds very Godfather. Yeah, it feels threatening as well. But it's a. Uh, as, 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 
I showed. I, sh- I should have gone for an Italian. This is a this is a wine of Spain. So, uh, oh, I've, yeah, I've gone Australia. So we both dropped the ball. Maybe over the weeks, we'll yeah. we'll, 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 we'll we'll nail it. But um, this bottle of wine cost me a lovely three pound ninety five. So, what what kind of notes are you getting with this wine? Will is it? What, what notes are you getting with yours? Um, let's have a I'll have a little sip. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely red. Mm-hmm. Definitely red. Uh, yeah, um, I'm just checking, and apparently this goes really well with beef burgers. So that's something. It's nice. It's nice. It's a, I'd say a medium bodied, huh? medium bodied wine. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's very, very quaffable. Yeah. Th- so, so the tasting notes on this one says it's a plum and blueberry flavors. I'm getting a little bit of that hint of spice. I'm not sure how I normally feel with a hint of spice in my in my wine, but it's, there's some there is a, there is a kind of a tang to this, and it says it would it would be ideal for a Sunday roast. What I'm thinking with a Sunday roast is when you're making a nice red wine gravy. This would be perfect to to plop in there, or it says a pizza. It'd be great with a pizza. So that feels very fitting. with a pizza. That's very, very perfect. Good. Something Mine like goes you. well with bra- braised lentils. Oh, nice. I love a bit of lentils. So, uh, so yeah. as, as I said in that intro, we will be talking about each episode of The Offer. And episode one is A Seat at the Table. Uh, the show is created by Michael Tolkien. This episode is written also by Michael Tolkien and directed by Dexter Fletcher. So before, yeah, as we get into it, Will, what's your kind of relationship to The Godfather as a film? Like, would, when, when have you, when would you have first seen it, and is it a kind of like mainstay of, of a film for you? Yeah, I saw it a long, long time ago when it was the film to see when you were getting into films, and I think I, I've said to you before, it's probably my first Coppola film, knowingly Coppola film. So, yeah, and I've seen it a few times since. I haven't seen it for a long time, I must admit. So I did plan to watch it again before watching this, but I didn't. But obviously, like I say, I've seen it. I've seen it enough to... And, yeah, I, I love it. Like everyone does. It's, it's amazing. So, yeah, it was my first real Coppola film. Yeah, so I, I, maybe what we'll do as we go through through this series is we'll plan in a kind of a little stopgap where we we both watch it like kind of in conjunction with or or maybe we'll end this series by kind of uh yeah watching it and kind of we would have seen or 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 maybe before they get to the actual production of the film because to not give anything away this this first episode doesn't really get into the kind of filming of the godfather it kind of is is very much the early stages of the film getting made um so yeah, and another thing I wanted to know as well is like, did um, how much do you know about the making of of The Godfather? Obviously, those of you listening might yeah. know that I've I've I really deep dived into it. It's one I covered not so long ago on the podcast. So kind of, uh, Mark Seal wrote this amazing book called Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. So like, I've really like immersed myself in it and kind of read everything I could about the the making of this so yeah what what about yourself have you do you know much about 
Um, not clearly not as much as yourself, but like <laughs> I, I know no, I know I know bits of it from reading about from from film magazines because obviously The Godfather is such a mainstay of like best films ever made. By proxy, I've read lots about it and the making of it as such, but not, less than I thought I knew actually after watching this. There's yeah, yeah the, the book you just mentioned I've just downloaded so by the time I've got the audio book um, leave the gun to the clothes so I've just will be listening to that this week oh, so I'm gonna listen to that but yeah but yeah I knew less than I thought I knew I guess so so b- before long next week's episode will be me and Will going wow it says in the book that this happened, whereas the show says that this happened. <laughs> I will suddenly become a drunk scholar on The Godfather. Well, I, I can very much say off the, off the bat here that um, the kind of timeline, and, and I do think the timeline in this episode feels quite muddied in a way because you kind of you don't really know how much of a passage of time there is a lot of do you know what I mean like it kind of I don't know I, I couldn't sense like has it been a week has it been a month like I don't know it's like yeah it, it seemed to like I said I don't read I'm not aware of how the timeline how what the timeline was but you can ask this a lot happens very quickly like real quickly there's yeah like you said there doesn't seem to be we're not given any time scale or whatever. it just happens which I suppose I understand because we they, they want to get to the the stuff. They want to get to the, the yeah. They want to get to the. They want to get to the good stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and exactly. Yeah. I think, like, yeah, from knowing the true story, like, there's a good few years, like, between certain things. Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of Mario Puzo probably having that in, like, we, we get that moment early on in the episode where Mario Puzo like has a book signing and there's like no one there to him deciding to write The Godfather, to it being a book. We're talking like 1969 that the book was released. So you've got to think there's maybe like, I don't know, like a, at least a year. Do you know what I mean? There's at least a couple of years yeah, yeah. between that gestation, oh, I'm going to write this, to it getting optioned by Paramount, to him finishing the book, to then the ball getting rolling and Francis Ford Coppola getting involved. Do you know what I mean? It's got to be at least, I don't know, like 1970 when he's involved, maybe, maybe even early 71 because the film then comes out in 72. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that scene there where he decides to write the Godfather is definitely one of the weaker bits of the episode because it's an exposition dump. <laughs> where we go. Someone just says him, well, you need to write another book. And he goes, okay, but what am I going to write about? You need to write about what you know. I'll write about, and it's a bit like, all oh, right, okay. So that whole thing happens real quickly. So what, yeah, would you, would, do you mind giving us a little synopsis of what this episode kind of tackles, Will? Yeah, so we've got two threads in the first episode. We've got well, three of sorts. Well, Mario Puzo is a down on his luck writer. As we start, Don's like, right, he's written a book. There's no one going to the sign-in. Um, he needs a hit because he's got, no pun intended, he's got a, it's clear he's got debts with 
people that he has to pay. So he needs a hit on his hands. He doesn't want to be a hack, but he's going to write about something he knows. That's the one thread we've got going on. We've also got um, Miles Teller, who's playing Albert Ruddy, who is working in IT. He's a... He goes to the um he meets someone and then we could he decides to write um he ends up writing Hogan's Heroes. We've got that going on, that thread, and then we've got some mafia people. Yeah. So that's basically what we've got in this episode. So yeah, you it's the setup. You mentioned Miles Teller, so it feels like a perfect time to mention the cast of this. So we have yeah, Miles Teller as yeah. Albert S. Ruddy. We have Matthew Good as Robert Evans, the kind of movie mogul producer who kind of ran Paramount um, throughout the kind of 70s and early 80s at least. Uh, we have Dan Fogler popping up as Francis Ford Coppola. We have Bern Gorman as Charlie Blue Dawn. Colin Hanks as Barry Lapidus. Uh, Giovanni Rabisi as Joe Colombo, as you mentioned, uh, uh, kind of the mob connection in this. Juno Temple as Betty McCart. And um, that 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 feels about relevant for for this episode. There's a few other people who pop up, whether it's Francoise, who is played by. Um, give me a second here to get the name. I really needed to open this up in Google. Uh, she's going to be buried at the bottom, isn't she? Uh, Nora Aaron Zadida. Yeah, I think that's wrong, but. We'll go with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let, should we should we, should we talk about the casting of this? What do you what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you what, let, I guess Miles Teller and Matthew Good are kind of one thread that we get throughout this. The kind of studio aspect of it. What do you think of their portrayal? I guess I don't know. Bob Evans is probably more people know what he's like, whereas Albert Ruddy could have been kind of. Yeah, he seems like someone behind the scenes, at least. Yeah, so Robert Evans um, is definitely the person I was more aware of. And for me, Matthew Good is the MVP in this episode. He's so good. Oh. Like, it, and it's, I mean, he gets to play big as a big character. So he's clearly having a lot of fun. And yeah, so he's clearly having a lot of fun. Miles Teller's good. I, I, again, I don't really, I didn't really know much about Albert Ruddy to form an opinion of whether he's playing well, but yeah, he's good. But Matthew Good is great. Well, yeah, Miles Teller is kind of, I guess, supposed to be our audience conduit throughout this. He's like, he's our lead character as Albert Ruddy. And I know the series is, it says based off of the stories. No, there's no book that this is based on. It is kind of, I think Michael Tolkien had discussions with Albert Ruddy about the making of it and kind of over these long conversations formulated uh, the, the scripts and the, the idea for this series. And it's very much, and, and I know originally, uh, we could talk about this a bit, originally Albert Ruddy was supposed to be played by um, real-life cannibal yeah. Army Hammer. Like, uh, like so, so, would obviously cannibalism aside would that have been a better casting do you reckon i don't know as they're watching this i i don't think so i i can't see how army hammer would have fit 
into this. Do, do you know what I mean? Because it, it's a bit of smarm of Army Hammer, mm-hmm. and he's a cannibal. But apart from that, but yeah, I I I I, I think Miles Teller is good. I I like Miles Teller. I can't see Army Hammer Army Hammer in that role. And I think he's too too handsome as well. There's like kind of you can't. I, I can't. Mister Hot. He, he looks Mister Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He looks chiseled out of marble. Whereas like Miles Teller does. Like, do you know what I mean? If if life had dealt him a slightly different hand, you could easily see him working in like a like a car garage. Do you know what I mean? He could he could be working on. A oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like he's like Army Hammer would already look like he should be working in Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like he should be in front of the camera, not kind of like mus- yeah, it... muscling about, kind of bothering Robert Redford. Yeah, exactly. He, he would have looked like he should have been on set anyway. So, <laughs> and. Uh, what about Dan Fogler as a Francis Ford Coppola? Obviously, like uh, somebody who I have a vested interest in this in this series, and kind of, you know, yeah, obviously, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Francis Ford Coppola. People probably are fully aware. Really, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I thought he was, I, at first, I wasn't sure. I thought, how are we going to go with this? Because I thought. There's a few in this first episode characters. I thought, I'm not sure about this, but as it went on, I quite enjoyed his performance. And I, I, we'll get into it, but it, it, there's a few of these characters in this and performances which grow on you. Because I wasn't 100% on the Francis Ford Coppola thing. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is, but yeah, he's good. Is it the the Puzo, the Mario Puzo, his interactions are great. I really enjoyed that dynamic once yeah. that settled in. Yeah, there's almost like a, another sh- like there could have been another show within this. You get you get it in this first episode. Yeah, yeah. Almost like a kind of sitcom of those two trying to write that script, and like that's kind of like there's something interesting in that. I think like hundred percent. And I don't know, like yeah, like it's almost I don't know, maybe there's an episode later down the line where like. We get to see those two because I've, I've been trying to avoid because we're going through this week by week been trying to avoid kind of looking at who's in how many episodes and stuff like that I kind of like just yeah like yeah blocking out that bit when i'm looking on imdb because i don't want to kind of i don't know ruin it for myself or like i think i kind of feel like i don't know not i've ruined it for myself but looked at like al ruddy's like i uh uh wikipedia page and it says how long he was married to Francoise for. So I was like, oh, so they eventually get married, I guess. Like, it's the kind of, like, what happens yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, uh, who else in the cast should we talk about? Uh, Giovanni Rabisi, right? So he's kind of the first character we get introduced to in this. And this kind of, I guess the opening to this, if anything, plays homage to Godfather Part Two, right? With the kind of procession. yeah through through kind of little italy and there's a yeah there's a slight nod when he goes there's a, there's a nod with him with the when he goes to the toilet there's yeah. that yeah there's a few nods to the godfather but his character was the one that when i first saw him i thought i'm not going to get on with this character i don't know it, it's a proper the first time you see him it's almost a prop i don't know if that's the point he's a caricature uh-huh. The voice that I thought, uh, 
right. But actually, he's the one that I've kind of, I've got a grip for. I've warmed to it. So yeah, like he kind but of, I thought I was going to struggle. How does he? T- he kind of talks like, "Yeah, so we're going to do this. Like, I, I, I'm really upset about oh, this book. Like, they got this book coming out. It's making us look stupid. We're we're not happy. I got Frank Sinatra really giving me a hard time about this book. And he's kind of he's he's like pushed into his shoulders. Yeah, yeah, he's all like pushed. Talks. Yeah, we're yeah, pushed yeah. in. <laughs> and then, like he's yeah, he, it's all he's obviously like put it's all through weight. his nose. Yeah, he's put on weight for this role as well. He look he's look, like kind of looks like like slightly bulbous, and I I don't know why. Like I I had a sense of like nerves coming on to talk about this because like cause obviously there are like real people involved, and especially like when talk about the mob, and I know that the kind of there are people who are members of the Colombo organization still out there. And I'm like, is this lowly podcast right here going to come under the same heat that Paramount did? If we kind of bad mouth the mob in some way, are we going to be, are we going to be taken down by the uh, Italian civil rights league? If it's still going, I'm not sure if it's been disbanded. I really should have looked into that. Should have looked into it. I'm a bit worried now. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to, they are quite, they are quite prominent in South Wales. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think, I think cruelly, they're really knocking about. I'm gonna have a, yeah. I, got, I don't know, I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have a horse's head in my bed in it <laughs> any week now. I'm gonna say, yeah, Giovanni, yeah. <laughs> just, just push your shoulders up and just say, hey. But yeah, that 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 whole thing of the, the pushing it is it. He's definitely has put on weight, but. It, it kind of it that performance at first was it was like he was you know putting on a performance with the shoulders and the voice all coming, and I wasn't sure I was going to get on board with it. But yeah. if it's a this show in the first episode, it's kind of got a strange tone about it. It it does jump about tone wise. Mm. Yeah, it, what, what, like, yeah. Do you mind uh, elaborating on that? Like, what kind of tones does it well, play yeah, like, with? They, so that caricature is quite funny, but I'm not sure. There's bits of it, you know. I wasn't sure if he was spoke that whole thing was supposed to be menacing because there's such caricatures in it. Towards the end, I think is it? Yeah, towards the end of this episode, it it, it builds up with the the mob, and they are quite. Yeah, the caricatures of what you'd expect from the mob, and I don't know if that's an intentional thing. It was what would, because it's the Godfather. But yeah, there's some, and there's it's a funny, it's it's quite a breezy show, which I was when you said about Dexter Fletcher directed it, that makes total sense because mm-hmm. Dexter Fletcher's got quite his films are quite, is a lightness attached to them, and they're breezy, and, and it is it's it's a different show to what I thought it was going to be. It's a lot lighter. If that makes sense, considering that we're talking about the mob and things, mm-hmm. yeah, because obviously it's going into not just like the the Hollywood aspect of it, it is, and I guess like the the mob aspect of it, that kind of kickback that the that the film got from the mob is kind of vital to this to this story, and I guess it's where a lot of the drama comes from, because I guess a, a, a TV show about just people going. How are we going to get this film made? Oh, you go speak to this person, go speak to that person, kind of doesn't have, I yeah. don't know, like, B 
big stakes to it. Whereas if you've actually got organized criminals kind of trying to shut down your film, that is kind of a bit like, oh shit, there's some real, there's, there's an element of jeopardy in this. Yeah, they were, yeah, but did you think that any of that was menacing or did you think it was, do you know what I mean? I, I never got, I thought it was almost, not play, not play for laughs as much, but I thought it was quite Well, I, I, nice. guess, I guess what this, like, what this show suffers from, and I guess, like, we were, like, it's, it's, it was inevitable to, to suffer from it, is we know the finished product. And we know that things work out eventually. Do you know what I mean? So it is kind of yeah, yeah. It is kind of like that. Um, I don't know, James Bond thing or that like Marvel thing where it's like, oh, we like. Do you know what I mean? It's like that thing when when you know X actor has signed on for X amount of Marvel product uh, pro- projects. It's like, oh, so we know for the next five years we're okay with this character. They're not, there's no, like each film, there's no way they're going to get killed off in this one because we know in, in real life that through like, yeah, like deadline articles, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think, Chris Pratt signs on a 10 year deal with Marvel. It's like, oh, so Star Lord, every film he pops up in is, he's going to be fine. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like, we know that the Godfather got made. So it's like, oh, I'm interested to see the kind of stumbling blocks in the way, but I do know eventually the film gets made. <laughs> hey, they might pull a Tarantino, change history completely. The last <laughs> episode just might be an absolute carnage. The Godfather never gets made. You never know. But no, I, I, yeah, we know, we know the outcome. I've just, I, I, it's a different show to what I thought it was going to be. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, guys, but it's a it's it's funny. It's a funnier show than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, like yeah. T- tell us about some of the moments that kind of have have a bit more levity in them. Or, or how, how do you want to tackle this? Do you want to kind of go through the episode scene by scene, or just kind of pick out things that, like, yeah, to kind of have a, a more broad discussion on the, the the different elements of it, like the Robert Evans stuff. Uh-huh. He's a He's a funny character because it is such a, I mean, it has to be because he's a massive character anyway, as we know, but he, he's played broad. Like there's a, I th- yeah, there's, in the set, there's a scene where he sat with, the, with two women and the Colin Hanks comes in and it's all really, it's all bravado. And so, yeah. And it's that not yeah it's a funny show it's surprisingly funny yeah because there's a there's amazing moment with matthew good as bob evans as well where charlie blue dawn comes to comes to the paramount lot and he's kind of like that's the thing you you never know with kind of where the bob evans moves and you see it throughout the episode kind of what a manipulator and conniver he is there's a moment when he's with um arthur hiller like discussing love story and he's like do you know who would be perfect for the role of uh, uh, the, the lead in this it would be it, it, i'm trying to uh bob evans is quite nasal isn't he he's like but he's like um ali mcgraw you need ali mcgraw and then and then before he knows he's kind of ambushed him with ali mcgraw there and he kind of leaves the room and he's like i am fantastic like i i, I am i am the best 
Like he, he kind of knows the way to manipulate these situations. But there's a moment where Charlie Blue Dawn comes to to visit. Who's this? Who was the owner? Yeah, yeah the owner of Paramount and this kind of Austrian madman by the seams of it. The way they kind of paint him in this, seeing as the show is made by Paramount, like it's Paramount, kind of, yeah, they're happy to be like this guy is slightly unhinged and kind of eccentric. It's- but he comes to visit the studio and. Bob Evans wills out Anne Margaret to greet him and has like glasses of champagne. And then we have Colin Hanks's Barry kind of there, not like not happy with it. And but Charlie Blue Dawn kind of says, like, Bob, I see what you're doing. I, I, I see what you're doing. Like, you're so transparent. And I love it. I love it. Like, Bern <laughs> Gorman's kind of like, like, and they have that, there's that moment yeah. where, um, Jack Warner calls and he's like, I don't, I don't pick up the phone first. He's like, well, Jack, neither does Jack Warner, like, neither does Jack Warner, baby. He invented this stuff. Like, you got Bob Evans and he's like, I, I will not yeah. pick up the phone. I do not wait for Jack Warner. And, the, <laughs> but then, like, that, there's a moment at the end of that scene because obviously you've got this stick in the mud, which is Colin Hanks's character. Thanks. But the way that, um, the way that bob evans winks at him but the way it's filmed he basically like because he's obviously convinced charlie blue dawn that they should keep the godfather like yeah like without warner buying it for a million dollars he like winks basically to the camera there is like a wink to the camera oh yeah oh aren't i good i'm shit hot there's some real broad moments especially with him like in this first episode, there's nothing subtle about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no nuances to these characters. Like Mario Puzo is that that his introduction. It literally all happens within a couple of scenes of nobody came to the bookstore. I've got debts. What can I do? Right, another book. It was really like oh, there's yeah, yeah, nothing because yeah. his kind of eight like manager or agent is like. Well, people seem to enjoy at the moment when you talk about the mafia. And he's like, I don't want to write about the yeah. mafia, but they were all over Hell's Kitchen. Like he's like really kind yeah, of like all over Hell's Kitchen. I grew up with the I grew up with the mafia. You know what they say? Write about what you know. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of you might as well just see like <laughs> okay. a, a ding. Like, ding. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. What like yeah, kind of pulling on the Mario Puzo friend. What do you what do you like I I'm not sure about you. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't know. I don't cloud your thoughts on it, but I do. I did think that kind of that interplay between him and his wife in that first scene. I kind of like that where his wife's kind of like really like you can tell she's been kind of dragged through the 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 coals with him. He's kind of there going like, do you know what I mean? He's probably spun her so many yeah, lines yeah. going like, don't worry, the next one that's gonna that's gonna be my big break, and she's kind of there like Mario how much debt are we in? And he's kind of like really trying to like skirt away for his like, oh, a, a bit of debt. And she just keeps coming back to it. Be like, no, Mario, how much debt are we in? He's like, well, five grand to this guy, a couple of grand to that guy. And let's not speak about the money. Oh, my brother. <laughs> yeah. But there's a, there's a line in that scene where again, not so where he's like, um, He's, he's talking about the debts he owes, and, and she says, I married. He said to her, They want me to write about the mafia. He's, she's like, 
I married an artist, not a hack. But then you've got the funny line of when he says, how much money we own? She says, get on that typewriter. But yeah, <laughs> but it is, again, it's not like, yeah, it's nothing. But yeah, that that, is, that scene is quite, but again, it's, I think with this first episode, there's a lot of setup where they, they race through stuff. They want us to know as much as we can, regardless, because that is fired at you. That Mario Puzo stuff, that happens in what? A couple of minutes, basically. Bookstore, Tobey's agent, tells his wife, he starts typing. That's yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that line as well. Fuck art, start typing. I kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like, that, that, that feels like something that if you, if, if, I don't know, if you're a certain writer, you should just, like, yeah, you should, you should just have that on your wall. Do you know what I mean? Is, is that the writer equivalent? Yeah, yeah. Live, laugh, love. Do you know what I mean? Fuck art, start typing. <laughs> Fuck sure art, start typing, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you can look for a few writers' IMDBs and be like, they've definitely, they've got that tattooed on their fucking forehead and every time they look... Oh, at they've they gone. Go, yep, that's, that's, that's my way to success, baby. Fuck art. Yeah. And there it is, 1992, they went, fuck art, start typing and carried on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm sure this. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That would be interesting. That that's a separate podcast, right there, isn't it? Fuck yeah. art, start typing. The early art, the early arty ones, and then the fuck art, start typing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be it could, each episode is two films, but just that kind of cusp: the art and the 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 fuck art, start typing. Is mm. is <laughs> perfect. Um, so yeah, obviously, like in regards to the out the, the real life al ruddy stuff like and how kind of condensed all of this is something we kind of keep going back to is al ruddy actually first produced a film in 1965 so obviously that is he did wild seed in 1965 um hogan's heroes uh, i'm trying to find where that is oh it is night yeah 1965 as well so obviously they've really condensed a lot of that where it's like he did this 1965 and then yeah the godfather wouldn't have really the ball wouldn't have got rolling at least till 1969 1970 really as a film and it's it is whipping you about because there's a moment where and i, I kind of like this moment when al ruddy sneaks onto the paramount lot and kind of accosts um bob evans kind of says like uh, uh like oh, yeah i, I, I want to produce and like bob evans like ah i gotta give it to your kid like uh, I, I like your moxie like i, I see a bit of, <laughs> i see a bit of uh myself in you like yeah, he literally says, you do remind me of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And then, it, you know. But it says, like, let's set a lunch, and then, like, it's cut. Next scene, Al Ruddy's moving into his office. It's, like, kind of the fuck yeah, yeah. is very much stripped off the bones here. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's like they've kind of gone, should we do any, like, X amount of years later? And they're like, fuck it. Let's just roll it all into one. Let it go. Just, just do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of... It's trunk. Yeah, they definitely. There's definitely a sense in this episode that they want to get a lot of stuff done, so we can. They want to get to the, the Godfather stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you can sense that because it, it does rock. It like rockets along. Like you said, there's no. 
we don't they don't even like there's no two months three months later the it's like the next like you say one minute he's with he's sitting a typewriter next thing the godfather has got a queue outside a bookshop and oh fuck yeah well, um <laughs> he could write so yeah going down the kind of how ruddy kind of um storyline of things um what do you make of the scene where kind of Al Ruddy like starts to realise that he wants to be a producer when he when him and Francoise go and watch uh, the, the the Planet of the Apes. Like, is is that an effective scene? That is a kind of like again like a, a light bulb moment of, oh, this is my calling in life. That that for me is the worst bit in the this opening episode. I get what they were trying to do, and I, I understand. Like again, it's the the light bulb moment and this realization, but it's uh, it's really heavy. And it, it, like he's still sat there after it's finished, stay screen, and it's all empty. And she's like, oh, "Can we leave now? This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about." And you're like, "Oh, fucking hell!" All right. But I get you. You you'll have that because he's got again. It's a lot of people in this episode are having their their moment of realization is what they want to do, and that's his. But it's pretty. It wasn't fun of that scene. We'll, we'll get on. To it's the one that didn't work. We'll get onto Francis's moment of realization because I think that's probably the most realist moment of realization in this in this yeah. show. Uh, but like, yeah, let's kind of talk about some of the Alradi stuff and kind of backtrack. Like one of the things I found with this show being quite like. This, this episode being quite truncated and kind of like all of the time being pushed together is it just makes like the 60s 70s like it kind of amplifies this patriarchal like uh <laughs> like white privilege that people have because it makes it seem like al ruddy just one day goes you know what i got this good job working for the rand corporation and he's like i'm just gonna go into cbs just on a whim from this bloke I've met at a party and pitch a show. So he's just walk, he could just walk into CBS and go on the hoof. Like you, you got any other ideas, fellas? And just going, yeah. So swastikas and Bilko. And they're like the, 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 the head of CBS is like, you think that, you think that the Nazis are funny boy? Like really like, yeah. Uh, incensed at this kind of idea that like he's like you think the Nazis are funny that whole setup is like like it's ridiculous because he literally goes like you say he goes there decides tells these comedians and comedy writers how they should write a comedy script she oh you've got something goes off right Hogan's heroes pitches sorry yeah well, pitches Hogan's that's Heroes. That's what they're there to pitch, right? They're there oh, no, to they're pitch writing, a workplace no, comedy. No, they're writing a workplace comedy. They they go to pitch The Office, and then they they pitch The Office. They don't like The Office, so then they go to... It's, it's kind of thing Gervais would do, really. Yeah. Make a comedy about Nazis. So they <laughs> do the Nazi thing. They're like, oh, we'll do it. Then within... A couple of scenes, that's gone, and he's Robert Evans. He's with Robert Evans. So yeah, we are absolutely rocketing through his timeline. Well, it it makes it feel like 
you know what I mean? It, it, it kind of reminds me of that time. And I guess, like, it, it kind of trickled down to, like, I don't know, maybe, like, the 90s, where, like, as you speak to, like, some older generations, like, may, maybe our parents' generation, and it's like you could just get a job by, like, walking into somewhere and shaking the manager's hand. And that's how it, like, that's how this feels. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Like, when I've been looking for jobs in the past, like, my parents go, like, have you, have you gone in and like spoke to the manager and it's like it's not how it used to be like now you've got a kind of like do you know what I mean you've got to write you've got to write a cover letter in blood in your own blood to like and and then and, the, and then fill out like a 10 page application form and that and then a computer will just kind of scan through it all and be like oh they haven't said enough buzzwords we're not even gonna like when a human is not even gonna see this whereas like back in the day and it's the same thing with like houses like where it was like, oh, you could win a house on a hook for the duck, like do you know what I mean in the 70s. Yeah. Whereas now you've again you've got to, you've got to sell like all your organs to even be able to afford a fucking deposit. Like, <laughs> on, yeah, on, yeah on absolutely mental. And it's like, yeah, it's, this this show makes it seem like you can literally go. Do you know what I mean? I could be working at a spa and go. You know what? I want to be the CEO of a fucking company, and you could just literally <laughs> go in and go. Hey fellas, I'm the CEO now, and then everyone just goes, "I like your moxie, kid. You remind me of me." Yeah, his career to he went he goes from computer folk uh, working in IT. Wait, no, no, he he to, even says it in the show. He says, "Oh, before I worked for the Rand Corporation, I was an architect." So obviously, like he's got some smarts about him, but it's like, what a yeah. fucking career trajectory! Yeah, architect. Rand, Hogan's Heroes, Godfather. Oh no, he does a film in between, doesn't he? In this, in this, yeah, in this chain, in this, uh, the events of this program. But yeah, it's quite fair play to him. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's but it, it really does kind of amplify that kind of like I don't old school way of doing things, right? And that kind of like, hey, you could just you could yeah waltz into somewhere and people go. Oh, like the cut of this guy's jib, like give him the keys to the castle. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, let's talk about Juno Temple in this as Betty Betty McCart. Like, well, yeah, like so. I I I think there's I don't know what I like. One of the things I like about this show is it feels like because obviously I I can only imagine that early seventies studios like film studios were very much a boys club but it feels like very much what the show is doing is trying at least to kind of put some agency into the female characters and kind of like showing us that behind every great man there is a, a really strong woman and it very much be uh, betty mccart feels like that for al ruddy she seems to be like on the pulse and kind of ahead of the curve even even before him, of what is going on, like what needs to be done, right? Yeah, Juno, Juno Temple's always great anyway. I mean, she's great, and she is really good in this, because like you see, the, the way she gets her um, her job is great, where she walks in and says, you don't want her, you want, you want me. Yeah, and yeah. she's uh, she's basically doing his job. At that stage, she's finding people. She's speaking to agents. She's so yeah. She 
her character is great. And there's a moment in when she's talking to, I can't remember the character's name, but she's talking to another character and she's a, a why do you wear that skirt? Aren't you, you can't be comfortable in that. And she's like, oh, that's what we, they want us to wear. And so you obviously, she's going to be the, the strong female character in it. And she's great. Like I say, Juno Temple's always, I, I've never seen her bad in anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, it, it, it does feel like this and Ted Lasso, she's kind of got this, she's very much fallen into this mold of just making men better. Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of seems like that yeah, is yeah. her. Like, that is her role now. It's like, oh, in and in, in yeah, in in Ted Lasso, it's like she'll make Ted's life a bit better. She'll make uh, Roy Kent's life a bit better. And in this, is like kind of she's there to like, yeah, make Al a better man and basically, yeah, basically show him the ropes. She she seems to know the kind of, and you get that moment. I kind of I kind of really like that moment where she kind of takes him around the lot. She like it's a it's a good kind of character moment where it shows like how how much she knows and kind of like how smart she is where she's like oh that door is where like the founder of Paramount used to sneak in his starlets to his room and that's so prompt like that archway is so prominent and that mo that that is that is from that film and that's from that and it's kind of like oh yeah they're kind of I like these I like these I like these. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, that stuff is great. That, that's what was kind of getting out with the tone stuff. That stuff. I mean, that, I think, 
that is some of the, the criticism we've got from other people is the the shoehorning of not Hollywood cameos, but like shoehorning in that kind of nostalgia stuff about oh look we're in Hollywood. But I in I that's the bits I enjoyed the the, the like you say the, the tour on the lot and when they talk about a certain person or so and so over there. I I enjoyed that. It's fun. Yeah, and there's like an ex- I'm already excited for for coming episodes where it's like, ah, oh, eventually Brando is going to show up. Eventually, well, yeah, we're, Pacino's going to show up. We're all. Do you know what I mean like, like we're, we're waiting? For, yeah, we're absolutely waiting for the big man, aren't we? Yeah, we're waiting for Brando to show up. Well, I, 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 wait, that, I, that, I, I'm waiting for like smaller players. Well, I'm waiting for um Richard Castellano who plays um I oh, was yeah that? uh fucking. Clemenza, do you know what I mean? Like, is are they going to have a guy playing him? Because like the ca- character of like Clemenza is like one of my. Is, is there going to be an Abe Vigoda as Tessio? Do you know what I mean? Is it yeah. James Khan? Like James, like someone's going to be playing James Khan. Like well, all that kind of stuff like excites me because that's got that's yeah exactly that's got to happen because if we're going into the production of we 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 already know from stills and things we've got our pacinos in it and we know that that's coming and yeah i'm fully on board for it that's what i'm but weirdly that's the that's the criticism has had that it's led to oh to it but i'm i'm that's the stuff i want i'm looking forward to it but that that that's what this is about right it's kind of like show like oh yeah i don't know like what like what would you say is the kind of the closest show to this that you've seen or like tonally like who's doing something similar to this would you say i'm trying to think because i don't know tonally i, I don't know why i've been watching uh recently barry because i'd never watched it and i've heard so many people talking about how good barry was so i started watching that and there's a same there's a similar tone to that where it is funny i mean barry's a lot darker it is but there's I can't really think of anything because it's so specific to The Godfather and Hollywood and things. I don't think there's anything similar. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I think it's, it's difficult. I think, I think for me, it kind of sits a little bit in step with like the kind of Ryan Murphy stuff that he's doing that's kind of like real world stuff. Yeah. Like, like kind of um, American crime stuff. The OJ Simpson. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of got like so, a little hint of that or that feud show that he did that kind of, again, I think was about Hollywood. And like, I, I'm going to lay my cards out on the table in this first episode, but I'm I'm a sucker for these kind of like anything that kind of delves into the world of Hollywood. Like I love like, yeah, I love like adaptations of film that I like particularly love and kind of anything that kind of pulls the curtain back on Hollywood and kind of shows us the machinations, like any kind of, documentary that is about a film getting made especially especially one that has like a turbulent um production i'm like oh yeah that's kind of visual crap for me yeah absolutely and now you've said it the mountain crime story is the closest thing to this where um it's the old the oj simpson one because it there's there's performances in that are so broad like what you've got here with the Robert Evans character is so broad. It, it's not trying to be high drama. It, it that's what I meant when I said it. I was surprised how how 
light and breezy it is, it, it, it's it's a fun show. It's not. I don't. I don't know what will happen later on. How much? But it's definitely. You know, it's it's not. It's not a big drama. Mm-hmm. It's not your big American drama. It's a fun show so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, yeah. How do you think it kind of balances these like separate storylines? Does it handle it well? And obviously, in the first episode, as we said, it's got a kind of, it's got a lot of like cards to. to do you know what I mean? It's got like that kind of base layer of a house of cards to build in this first episode to kind of like hook you in. Does it manage to? Does it manage to hook you in as an audience member? And how does it manage these different storylines in your eyes? Yeah, I think so. I think the the, the first episode, like we said, it it deals with it pretty well because there's so much when we when as we're talking about it now, I'm going, oh yeah, that's the first episode that happens in the first. Do we? It's packed so much in. It's such a because, like we said, a lot happens in a very small time scale, which is obviously not accurate, but it does pack a lot in. But it doesn't. Well, it didn't for me feel overstuffed. Mm-hmm. I was I was fine with it. So I have read criticism that it's over overblown too much going up, but I didn't find that. I don't like I say I don't know how it's gonna play out. But I think this first episode like a lot goes on, but I didn't feel like it was too much. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was given their little moment rather than Yeah, everyone had a moment where you, you knew who they were. You know who's always now, you know who Coppola is, you know. Well, I was, it sets it out nicely for what's to come. As I was watching the episode, I was like really like, I was kind of excited because I was like, oh, they're going to hold off on Francis episode two. And then I was like slightly disappointed that they didn't because obviously he does get introduced in this episode. But I was like, that, that, that could have been a real ballsy move to be like, do you know what I mean? Episode one mm. kind of starts with, boom, like let's approach but they're, they're like fuck it let's kind of set up all of the kind of chips let's kind of set up all of all of the cards and the kind of moving pieces in this first episode and i guess i don't know they kind of have an end point that kind of guess what you want from a like a first episode or something where you want a kind of dramatic moment at the end where it's like oh you think we're you, do you know what I mean we, we think we're on plain sailing and then it's like boom Something's going to happen that, that will that will upset the apple cart, and we'll 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 get to that. But um, yeah, like I wanted to talk about like so you talking about uh real life people portrayed in this. We get that moment when I guess it's supposed to show how Al Ruddy is a kind of man who doesn't play by the book if he needs to get something done. When like Betty McCart says to him like. Oh, you're only signed for a year. We really need to find a script that has been overlooked and get it into production. And uh, Al Ruddy finds the script for uh, the the title for it. I think I have the same problem as Robert Redford, where it's like, I can't pronounce this title. (laughs) It is Little Foss and Big Halsey. And... um, yeah, he, he he has to go down to Mexico to uh, convince Robert Redford to go in. But that that that, that kind of I, I love the yeah. playfulness of um, uh, Robert Evans, where he's like, 
oh, if you could get me Robert Redford, like, yeah, <laughs> like, do it, baby. Like, yeah. Like, 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 yeah. like, like what is it? he says about Steve McQueen, he's like, Steve McQueen's doing his own, doing his, uh, he's, doing his, own, he's doing his own uh, racing picture, Le Mans. He's not going to do this. And he's like, you get me Robert Redford. And then obviously it's like that thing of Bob Evans knows about the lawsuit that, that uh, Paramount yeah, had yeah. with. But what do you what do you think of this brief cameo we get as of uh, this guy playing Robert Redford? I quite again, I quite enjoyed it because that's the kind of thing I want from this. You know, I'm, I mean, it's, we all know Brando's coming, we know Pacino's coming, we know, and I do think, oh, I wonder how they're gonna because they're obviously a cameo, a little cameo like the Robert Redford bit is fine. Whether they can pull it off for many episodes i don't know yet yes. but i quite enjoyed the robert redford thing i thought it was fun because it was fine i mean that, that kind of thing to me it's fine it's fun i enjoyed it whether i would have wanted to see more of it i don't know and we get we get that nice little peek behind the curtain of them filming uh butch cassidy and the sundance kid butch right? cassidy yeah 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 because uh... that's a night. Nice- that's a nice little moment. I I like that when he walked on set and they were ha- they, the shootout was happening. The the running away. I, yeah, I yeah, it's good. And you get like this kind of you get this picture painted of Robert Redford where he's like, like meet me tonight at the bar. We'll have a drink and I'll get to know why I should work with you. I'm like, yeah, Robert Redford seems like a fucking dude. Like obviously he is he is a dude. Like set up. The- yeah, because he says we're gonna get drunk. Yeah, and he says we'll get drunk and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna sound like a real luddite here, but like there's something like asp I don't know there's something like appealing about the lives of some of these guys. Do you know what I mean like as much of like like let, let let's not get this wrong. Robert Evans was a bit of a fucking arsehole. Like do you know what I mean like I think like in in actuality made uh made it really difficult for Francis Ford Coppola to make this film and. Eventually, him and Francis Ford Coppola in the eighties would end up in court against each other over who had the kind of reins for the film, The Cotton Club. So it's kind of like their 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 relationship has these bookends where it's like they had this really frosty relationship and like kind of managed to get something done with The Godfather and really boosted Francis Ford Coppola into the stratosphere, and it's kind of when Francis Ford Coppola was on his downswing almost in the 80s, he, he had another run-in with Bob Evans and it fucking, do you know what I mean? It, it crashed and burned and they ended up in court against each other. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, so I was just I think with this show, like you said, Rob Evans is a bit of a piece of shit and I'm sure there's aspects of some of these characters as well that are not great, but I, I think you've just got to take it from, from this first episode. I think we've just got to take it for what it is as it's just what you want from the show. It is going to be people popping up the cameos. We're not going to have we're, there is drama in it because of the whole mafia thing, which is a it's a great hook. Mm-hmm. The mafia trying to shut down the the production, and but I don't think we're going to have a huge issue-led drama. Yeah, I yeah. think we're just in for a bit of breezy fun. I keep going back to it, but I think that's what the point is. I don't think we could... I'm sure there will be things that will be dealt with, 
But I don't think we're going to have anything, any massive issue moments. I don't think it's that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so as we move on, there's a couple of, like, scenes I wanted to, like, dive into and kind of, like, big, big, big moments in this. So there is another, like, big jump in time because we have that meeting of Robert Redford and then, like, before we know it, it's kind of that film has come out and flopped, but it's kind of, like... (laughs) Yeah, that happens so quick. Yeah, but there's, like, a kind of... uh, It sets out the stall. And, again, there is these kind of small, like, things of tension. And I guess, like... There is a thing like I'd be interested, and like maybe I'll throw it out and kind of find somebody who doesn't know much about the. You know I mean, I I would be interested to know what the the kind of not as cine literate like like film nerds like ourselves make of a show like this because kind of if you don't know the machinations, if you don't know that Al Ruddy saw the film through to completion, like a moment where he's like. He's worried for his job being on the line. He goes to see Bob Evans. He's like, pack, pack your bags. And he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, yeah, you thought you were fired? He's like, oh, we're not getting rid of you that quickly. You're going to New York, baby. Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And he's made, that's the thing. Is that thing of like, this show, this, this episode shows like failing upwards. It's like that film flopped. Now you're the producer of The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. They- yeah, like, he had an absolute disaster as answer in producing The Godfather as his next thing in this timeline. But yeah, I think you just got to... It's funny you should say that about... Because as I was watching it, my other half, Kylie, is not has, hasn't seen The Godfather. So it's not just not her type of film. But as I was watching this, I did think... I kind of wish I'd been watching it with her. Because I... I still think you could enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. If you, you only got to have a passing, like the story's great, but like if you know who Robert Redford is, you're going to get a bit of, not a kick out of it, but you go, oh, well, I get that. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think it's, there's no pretension with it. It's not pretentious at all. Where you do have certain things about Hollywood and that, where it, it kind of like, almost like, well, if you don't get this, it's just, if you don't know the cinema, then mm. but there's nothing in this that you couldn't get out of it if you didn't know anything about The Godfather or just a passing of awareness of The Godfather. But then there's nice stuff in there that if obviously, like, you know that you, you know The Godfather, like, there's a, a passing line like, yeah. in kind of opening scene where one of, like, Joe Colombo's goons, like, uh, picks up a cannoli from a, from a stall and one of his, one of the guys says, "Leave the cannoli." And like, obviously, as a kind of like Godfather <laughs> devotee, it's like, oh, you're referencing the famous line to like, "Leave the gun, take the cannoli." Yeah, yeah. He's saying, "Leave the cannoli." He's like, "That's great." And there's kind of yeah, there's moments, there's visual moments like that moment where Joe Colombo, like you mentioned earlier, is going to meet a couple of like mafioso he guys. Goes to- goes to the toilet and it's kind of spoken yeah. the, the, the the framing the kind of look of it all is yeah, it's absolutely that, that, shot, that that kind of yeah when he's uh, when michael uh offs is it mccluskey and um yeah, yeah. um Letiri? no uh no i can't remember it doesn't matter I, I, people appreciate yeah. it, get their fucking uh podcast <laughs> uh 
So yeah, obviously that 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 kind of failing upward leads to him being sent to New York, and he has the meeting with Charlie Blue Dawn, and there's obviously that like moment of yeah. like I don't know, slight fun where it's like he's obviously a big blackguard and has said, yeah, yeah, I've read the book. Like and he has to read it on the plane and then <laughs> on the plane. Yeah. He's because he, he's, there's a funny moment he says, oh my god, it's big. Yeah. And then like him and Juno Temple in the car kind of trying to figure out like what is going to be the pitch. He's like, it's an American story. It's uh it's like, no, no, he he he's from Austria. He's like, it's a universal story. It's 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 this, it's that, it's 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 it's, yeah. it's whatever. And um she's like she she has a great line, she's like Charlie Doodle Charlie Blue Dawn is very direct. So like he kind of speaks like a telegram, so just be a telegram. And then like I do think it that it it, it, it does well in like building some tension because you kind of get that you get that scene of him like sat in the office just kind of and we've all kind of been there, like whether it's like an interview or a meeting with a manager where you're sat in an office and like, how the fuck is this gonna go? Do you know what I mean? Like and it's like yeah. it's kind of relatable. Like I've never I've never had a meeting where it's like I could be the producer of the godfather but like i've got, I've, I've had <laughs> no. i've had meetings so it's like oh i could i could get an internal promotion here or whatever uh but um <laughs> yeah what do you make of what do you make of that 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 kind of sequence and that that like because it, it i think it ends brilliantly yeah it's great that like i said that 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 interaction between um Master and Jewel temple is great because again it shows that she knows her shit more than him he, she knows the ins and outs of how it's going to work, and yeah, that that scene is great, and that whole, yeah, that whole build up that scene, uh, that's a, again a, a part very like those. There's a couple of um, like duos of characters which I could watch more of in each, like the Puzo Coppola thing, Juno Temple, Miles Turner, that bit in the. The cab on the way to me it's great it's a nice interaction yeah and uh i love al ruddy's kind of fine like the line he delivers to charlie blue dawn uh which is i'm gonna deliver you an ice blue terrifying film about people you love and charlie blue dawn just loses his shit i love it i love it storms love. out of <laughs> the room and I, he's like, he kind of looked yeah, at yeah. Harry like, what the fuck just happened here? And he's like, you're the producer on The Godfather. <laughs> like, like, it's like, oh, it's, it's, that, it's that fucking simple. Like, do you know what I mean? To my point of like, that's how you got a job in the 1970s. You just spoke some bullshit. And people go, I love it, darling. You've got the job. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know he was played by Isa Minnelli, but yeah, it's... <laughs> I love it, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah, that whole set, again is so massive. It, that performance, it's it's super broad and like unsettled. But yeah, Colin Hanks is great. I don't, we haven't mentioned Colin Hanks. He's playing the stuffy, uptight, yeah, yeah, the uptight pencil pusher guy really well. Again, real caricature and. Exactly how you'd expect them to that guy to be, but he's playing it really well. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of like you need that kind of bureaucratic, um, I don't know, like antagonist almost of like, do you know what I mean? You've got these 
freewheeling spirits in Bob Evans where it's like, I, I, I'm going to do this shit and things will work out. And then you've got Al Ruddy who's like, I don't know the system. I'm going to figure stuff out. I'm going to, I'm going to skirt the agents. I'm going to go directly to the talent. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm not going to play by the rules, stuff like that. And then you need this yeah. guy who's going to be like, oh, actually the company's losing money. Yeah. You need the, the he's almost the anchor who's <laughs> because Everything's so over the top that you need that almost calm. Because as much as I love love, uh, Matthew goes Robert Evans, a whole show about him, fuck me, that's a lot in it. Do you mean you need your Colin Hanks to level stuff out a bit? If you haven't seen it, there's a brilliant documentary called The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is a documentary all about Bob Evans and kind of like the way he was. And I'm I keep meaning to read the book, but like it's one of those ones that like is out of print and seems to be like ridiculously expensive, and I'm just gutted because I know there's a, an audio CD of it, it's not been like transposed onto Audible yet, but it's because it's an autobiography. I just hope it's read by Robert Evans. I just want to hear <laughs> Robert Evans yeah. read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every so often, going off script. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, a side note. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so uh, after, obviously, Al Ruddy gets the job is when he hires Mario Puzo to write the film. And, uh, uh, well, yeah, what do you make of that scene with Al Ruddy meeting Puzo and his wife? Yeah, I, I like. I I don't know much about. I got. I'll be honest. I don't really know much about Pooza as a person, apart from the fact he wrote The Godfather. So I don't know how accurate the portrayal is. Yeah, so it's Patrick Gallo who's playing Pooza, and I kind of I like his portrayal. I guess it is kind of again probably a bit broad strokes. They have hit some. He did have diabetes, and like I think there genuinely was like concerns for his health from his wife of like. I'm going to be sending you to LA, so you need to lay off the pizza, the pasta, the kind of the sweets and the treats. But it seems that Mario yeah. ignored all of that fucking immediately. It's yeah, there's a yeah. Okay, he's played almost as like not like not a lovable oaf, but it, he oh, he very much is. Yeah, he is a lovable oaf. Yeah, imagine, he is. That's what like, he is. He's I don't know, maybe like 90s uh, Danny DeVito playing him almost. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's, a, he's a shambles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's a shambles of a man. I love his... But you of, like him. I love his conviction where Al Ruddy's like, oh, how quickly could you write this script? Like, could you do it in three months? It's like, if you give me the job, I'll do it in three days. <laughs> And it's like, we've yeah. all fucking been there where it's like, do you know what I mean? My mouth is writing checks that I fucking cannot cash. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's kind of, and then we kind of like fast forward to them in LA. And I think, I don't know, I, I really like the scene with, yeah, Puzo kind of going to give his adoration to Frank Sinatra. What do you, what do you make of that moment? I I I like that moment. I thought it 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it's quite funny. Like, but you do feel sorry for him. But he stands his ground as well. <laughs> I, I, I like that scene. I don't know how. I don't know how I feel about the the whole portrayal of Sinatra. I, I get, but I think that's what I think we're gonna. Ha- I'm gonna have to. Oh, everyone's. Gonna, I think that's what you need to come to terms with. This show is it. That's the show it is. These people are going to be what we, I think what we expect them to be. I don't think we're going to be subtle about it. Sinatra is who he perceives Sinatra to be. He's Mister the Guy. So that, that I like that scene. I thought it was and it again. It was another aspect of the lovable oath where he was going to show his adoration to Sinatra. And Sinatra. You're Oh, you're Mario Pozo. You come basically fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's basically what the scene is. He said, "I will not be told to fuck off." <laughs> yeah, so. And is, like, yeah, I. Because he like it is kind of quite like quite tense and like kind of like awkward where he's like, "I don't get to choose who my fans are, especially people who've like disrespected the Italian community and stuff like that." And, like, yeah, yeah. Like let let's get it out on the, the record now that. Frank Sinatra was a piece of shit as well. He was a real fucking piece of shit. Like, it's like, it's like two ways. You've got, it. you've got, you've gone too far. I don't want this hit on my head. <laughs> God, come but yeah, me. no, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, come for me. I, I, I love the kind of like, it seems to be like the, the amount of swing he had with, uh, no pun intended. Uh, I know you're pretty mm-hmm. cool. Nice. Um, with the mafia as well, and the, the, what I found funny about this episode as well, because I kind of I watched it twice to really like digest it all, is the fact that like all of the scenes we see of the mobsters is them either worrying about the Godfather book, and it's like surely, surely like you're running crime, you're running all this stuff, you're running drugs, like you're running all this stuff, and like all this show is showing us is them going. Father, Godfather, set number one in the charts. Like, what are we gonna do about this book? And it's like, it's like, does he not? Does he? Does he not say at one point? He's like, there was a queue of thirty people outside <laughs> yeah. sign in. Like, is that your biggest issues? I oh, there's doubt a, it. There's one scene where they're like, oh, they're turning it into a movie, and then there's like the next <laughs> scene is like, he's like, he's like, literally like, God knows how long the passage of time has been. He's like. Ah, it's still at number one in the charts. What we gonna do about it? What we gonna do about it? And then, and then, and then um, yeah, they kind of like really, like really, just seem pet up, like head up about this book. And I'm like, I'm sure they were annoyed. Like, do you know what I mean? Especially, I don't know, I don't know, yeah. kind of the switch, yeah, the kind of the 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 pull and the kind of push that Sinatra had with the mob. Because I know, I don't know that, like, I think in actuality, he was kind of tied to to a lot of mobsters and stuff like that but like i think it's kind of crazy uh, yeah. right it's kind of crazy that like there's a bit he phones doesn't he is that in this is this a, no, no, no. That's i don't know so yeah but we get the hints of the his pull with these guys yeah yeah, but yeah we get it at the end like near the end of this episode but um it oh yeah it, it it feels it feels um perfect to talk about like yeah as as we kind of get to the end of this episode we we, we get introduced to uh Francis Ford Coppola but before we do we get probably one of my favorite images of this 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 episode which is Mario Puzo 
laying in a swimming pool on a lilo, eating a pasta bake off of his fucking belly out of a dish. And I'm like, he's living a fucking yeah. dream. That's, that moment, to me, summed up what the show is. Because <laughs> it's like, we're just like, yeah, you know it. The, we've got a show about the making of the Godfather, and the guy who wrote the Godfather is on a lilo, an inflatable, yeah, glass of red wine. Like I say, eat it topless, eating a pasta bake. Say, I can't <laughs> write. Like, yeah, it's kind don't of, think we'd um. That is that is kind of like aspirations for summer, right? That is kind of like oh, if someone was your perfect holiday, it would be. Skirting a deadline whilst eating pasta bake on a fucking lilo in LA in an all in, in a kind of all expenses paid house. Yes, fucking please. Like if someone said, "What well, was your what's your dream life?" It's like it's Mario Puzo writing the fucking Godfather in the <laughs> offer. I'm not sure if that's how it went down, yeah. but like that's what that's where I want to be. The closest I got to that was probably in lockdown in the summer, just sat in a kid's paddling pool with a can of lager. Yeah. Eating yesterday's pizza. I've definitely fucking been there, my friend. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. So, but yeah, that's a lovely image. Um, and then, yeah, we, we get introduced to, because um, obviously, yeah, he's not writing the script and they realise they need somebody to, to help him write it. And, um, I think it's Peter Bart, the, the like another executive for Paramount, and him, Juno Temple, uh, and Al- Albert Ruddy. I'm, I've just mixed people's actual names and their character names there. So yeah, <laughs> Betty McCart, Al Ruddy, and Peter Bart having a conversation, and it's Peter Bart, I, uh, I believe, who kind of suggests Francis Ford Coppola because he had he had written Patton. Yeah, I was just looking, yes, because it's Pete, yeah, Peter Bart. Because what's the actor's name of Peter Bart? Oh. I don't know, he looks like, for my money, he, he looks like a kind of poor man's Jason Schwartzman. Like, he kind of... Exactly. To, there was a moment where he came on, and I I was going to, I was going to message him, say, is he, why, he looks so much like Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, I was going to... he's not, but he... He looks like Jason Schwartzman, who's been some kind of CGI has been done to his face to make DAG more. There's something about, but it's so much like him. It's kind of like, um, yeah, the, the actor's name is uh, Josh Zuckerman, but it's kind of like Jason Schwartzman and the guy who plays Howard on The Big Bang Theory have kind of just been like slammed together. Oh, definitely. So around here, we get, yeah, like, because Mario's not playing the script, we get introduced to Francis Ford Coppola after that after that meeting. Yeah, after like I think it's Betty McCart kind of puts it in his head. Like that we get that seat, we get that moment right between Peter Barr and um her, where it's like, Did you tell him to come speak to me? And it's kind of like it feels like yeah. she's pulling the strings right of like she's the one who's who's figuring like all this out. Like and she's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, she, she 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 she's the puppet master to Al Ruddy. No, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. They, again, there's that that interaction's great, and yeah, because it's her that lays the seed for that whole thing. So 
Yeah, and then we get the introduction of your man. So, something I noticed on rewatch and looking at IMDb trivia is there's kind of like a little Easter egg. When we get that first shot of Francis Ford Coppola, the guy who walks, he's kind of out of focus, but the guy who walks in the background, George Lucas, it's definitely... I read it today. Yeah, it's 100% George Lucas. Like, it's kind of very much how he looked at that point. I meant to go back and watch it when we got in today, because I read it today that there was any story of George Lucas in the background. I I meant to, which I will do tonight. Because, yeah, I read that, that it's George Lucas in the background. Because it's it's been said on this podcast before, and, like, it's kind of been said in jest, but I think there is some validity to it, that there kind of is no George Lucas without Francis Ford Coppola, because... George Lucas through UCLA, I believe he was at at the time, won a competition to go on set at the Warner Brothers lot to kind of see how they make movies because he was on the film program and bumped into Francis Ford Coppola just because he was the only other guy. And I think Francis Ford Coppola saw, he's like, oh, there's somebody on the lot who isn't over the age of 50. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone who'd kind of been working yeah, yeah, yeah. at Warner Brothers in the 60s was like they kind of had kept the same guys for like 20, 30 years. And like he saw this young guy and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, what, what, what are you about? He's like, oh, I'm at UCLA and like took George Lucas under his wing and like got him to. So there's a film that Francis did called The Rain People and he basically got money out of the kind of production for it and like blag some more money for there to be behind the scenes footage filmed and got like gave George Lucas a job and then started Zoe Trope and then produced George Lucas's first two films with THX one one three eight and um uh, American graffiti. So there is like an argument of like I know you're not a fan of Star Wars, but like it's a very kind of um I don't know, it's a changing point in kind of blockbuster cinema and it's like there ain't there ain't no there ain't no George Lucas. There probably ain't no Star Wars without Francis Ford Coppola yeah. kind of taking him under his wing. And I kind of I like that kind of Easter egg we get in this episode. George kind of just floating about in the background just for maybe five seconds. Yeah, I kinda of wish I'd known I don't I don't I didn't want to have been any spoilers, but I kind of wish I'd known that Easter egg because I would have looked out for it. Because I, it, I didn't see it at all until I read about it. So, well, I, I, I think we'll get quite a lot of that as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so because we, like, what do you think of that first meeting? Because I think it's interesting, and it, it, it does, it does very much play to reality. Francis isn't interested in the Godfather, right? When, 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 it, when. How yeah, yeah. That first kind of meeting with him. I like, yeah, the first meeting is it's really good because he's, um, like you say, totally uninterested, not interested in the slightest. And he, again, when he's got to talk him round through what is quite interesting in this first episode, and again, it happens quite quickly, but I think, again, we'll come. Ruddy starts, Evans in it. You can see he's using Evans' tactics quite quickly. He's taken on Evans. Is he even, he, yeah, Ruddy is taking on like 
how Evans can manipulate people into doing what he wants them to do. Well, and there's a sense in that first meeting. But there is like an almost like real world, like kind of straight down the line aspect to Al Ruddy, where he's like, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. I know that you're in debt. And you kind of like, he knows that he's in debt with Warner Brothers and he's like, he's got this expensive studio in San Francisco and it's like, you're in direct to jail at the moment. Like, if you do this picture, we can kind of drag you out of that and studios might want to work with you again. If you, uh, or you because he, literally, to... he literally says that, doesn't he? Yeah. He literally says you're in direct to jail. Yeah. So, which is true. Yeah. Which is true. Like, mm. like he kind of, that I think that has been Francis's kind of perpetual state is always kind of do you know what I mean? If this was a game of Monopoly, it'd always kind of be floating around in jail. Do you know what I mean? Like he's waiting to roll the <laughs> dice three times to get out of there. <laughs> because he's always like he's always just gambling with his money, other people's money, and kind of like I don't know, like win the Pasco at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he wants that. Yeah. He wants that collect, collect two fifty yeah. pass go. But he seems he seems to just keep popping back into the jail. Um, and then the, the, that that yeah, and I like the fact as well that it delves into the fact that Francis's reservations for doing it as well. Again, a, a very real world to how he actually felt of. He didn't want to glorify the mafia. He's obviously he had a, an an immense sense of pride as an Italian American, and I guess a lot of kind of I don't know average everyday Italian Americans feel that as a kind of that doesn't represent all of us. So like he was like I don't want to I don't want to glorify that and be a part of kind of making that seem like a a great thing. Yeah, and that that. Again, it's that is touched on, and it's 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 dealt with fine. So we know we we know his feelings in that scene, and that's it. This is why I think, like I said, with this show, I it it does touch on issues, but not in a heavy. It it's dealing with them, but also we know where we are. That's not going to be the. I, I can't. I don't know what happened in later episodes. Whether that becomes it, but we're we're told that's his feelings on it, and that's it. Whereas I think if this had been another show, a different type of show, I think we would have delved into that in long monologues, and and it's just not that show. And uh, I think there's an, there's there's a version of this show where it is from the Francis perspective, and there is a a kind of battle over that thing do you know what I mean there is a kind of like him maybe talking to Eleanor Coppola do you know what I mean him really kind of toiling with the fact of like yeah like maybe I have got to I, I have got to say fuck art and start typing here and to get my to yeah to, to get out of director jail and it kind of it feels like that would have been a perfect title for this episode right and it kind of feels like that's almost yeah, like yeah. the motivation of of Francis is this kind of like monetary and like very honest of like I just need to I just need the money and I need to and, and, do you know what I mean? and but if I'm going to I'm going to try and make this something artful. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of the day, that meeting he's going to do it for the cash. 
but I want to do it for the cash. And he wants to do it for his, in, in his own way. But like you say, I think, there, as you said, there is a version of this show where that would have been, we would have had these stories and they would have been, we would have had, an, as you say, an episode of that Coppola decision or maybe an episode of, I think, um, Ruddy's character could have been a lot more serious. We would have had that, of long episodes of his, we would have had a, a whole episode of his, how he started off and things. And there is a show that could have been made like that, but we've got this. Well, there's, there's, and I'm happy with it. There's talks of, there's been like a long kind of muted uh, film directed by Barry Levinson, like called Francis and the Godfather. Which is, I, I imagine, would have been like the kind of telling of this making of the Godfather from Francis's perspective. And yeah, I long for it to happen because the cut, the like, the cast for it is Oscar Isaac as Francis Ford Coppola, Elizabeth Moss as um, Eleanor Coppola, so Francis's wife. So would have delved into kind of the interpersonal mm. relationship there. And Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Evans, like oh yes, please give me that fucking film, like Jimmy. You know yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> like, and I think I think both can exist. I really hope that like Ooh. this this TV show doing, yeah, critically whatever it's doing or kind of. I, obviously, I'm not sure if Paramount Plus are sharing their streaming numbers or whatever but i really hope that, that doesn't stop that dead in its tracks no and i think again like we said i think this show the show we've got is such so accessible for you don't have to be silly literate you don't have to even know that much about you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a, a big fan of the mafia films you don't have to be a fan of it's so accessible. I think, it, like I said, I think if I watched it with my other half, for instance, I get a sense you would go, I want to see The Godfather now. Yeah. Just to see what. So I think it will open. Like, The Godfather can be one of those films that, of course, everyone's seen, but nobody's seen. It's one of those. Oh, yeah. The Godfather's, uh, the Godfather's uh, actually my favorite film. Is it, though? That kind of thing. But I do think. People, there's also a thing about the oh, the Godfather's long, and it's, but this, oh, as somebody, because this is so light. Somebody who watched it for the first time in the cinema this, yeah, this year. So for the mm. for the fiftieth anniversary, they showed all three of them in the kind of like four K restorations. Um, and one of the things I noticed from watching the Godfather is like. It's a lot more like kind of fun than like you know what I mean the stuffy film that it that I I had the perception of as as younger and I think it's like that thing with films when people kind of, everyone says this is great this is great this is great I kind of like tense up and like uh, it feels like it feels like eating my vegetables here I'm like a bit like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's it, films it, I haven't watched because of that, and like everyone's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's really important to, to, to filmmaking. I'm like, well, yeah, it's almost detrimental to the film in a sense because as soon as someone 
as soon as, say, a well-regarded critic says, oh, yes, the greatest film I ever made and uh, said most importantly, I think, oh, fuck, you know, it's three hours long. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think three hours long and half, you're saying it's the greatest film I ever made. But actually, when you watch it, you go, oh, yeah, it probably is the greatest film I've ever made because it's, it's not stuffy. It is long, but it's funny as well. It, it, yeah. I think this kind of show kind of taps into that where, yeah, if I had watched it and hadn't seen The Godfather, if I was just watching it because it's a Paramount Plus with Miles Teller in it, I'd be interested to see The Godfather now. And I'd watch The Godfather and go, oh, yeah, actually, it is, it is good. It's not that film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so... Yeah, let's talk about the... Well, I've got a clip to play, and it's when um, Francis Coppola ambushes Bob Evans and kind of delivers his speech on what he thinks The Godfather could be as a film. And this is um, this kind of gives us a flavour of what, what Dan Fogler is delivering in this show. Okay. So why is it that The Godfather is selling more copies than the Bible? You think it's about the drug trade, 1946, New York City? Not at all. It's a metaphor for American capitalism, the American dream, the mythic battle for control. Okay, what is our opening line? I believe in America. How perfect is that? And what is America to this undertaker? It's a a land of opportunity. And it's a justice system that has failed him. It's Shakespeare, it's Greek, biblical, epic, evil versus evil, fun. The Godfather is a story about men. And they come together and they form a bond and they find justice through loyalty and fucking law. But at its core, This is a story about family. That's the secret sauce. That is what has captured the hearts and minds of the whole world. You read it and you say, that's my family. That's your family. For Paramount, it's the Corleone family. I know how to make this film. You need an Italian to tell this tale. Four million all in, not including prints and ads. I can do that. And uh, he told me to say that last part. So, that's it. That's my pitch. That's great, Francis. That is great stuff. Cheers. Cheers. So, yeah, that's kind of like the big monologue we get from Francis in this episode. Like, what do you... Like, do you think it... Like, I don't know. I think it captures, like, a a slight intensity that uh, I imagine, like, the real Francis had, like, of this kind of, like, He's taking this, what he saw as a pot boiler of a book. Like very much. I'm not sure. Have you ever read The Godfather? Or... I haven't. So, it's one of the ones, it's, it's the book that's on my shelf. That I keep going, I, one day, but it just happened. So I, I really recommend listening to the audio book because it's read by Joe Mantegna who obviously voices Fat Tony in The Simpsons. So, <laughs> so, so you get The Godfather read to you by Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Yeah, yes, get it on now. <laughs> get it down on you right now. I've got a credit left. Done. So, yeah, that's... It's, and it's, it's, again, again, you, you, 
it's really interesting like the way that that book um came together and maybe maybe we'll do even in this kind of 10 part series maybe we'll do a little um I don't know deep dive into to kind of how francis went about writing the script yeah like adapting the script for this because i think that's an interesting story maybe we'll, we'll dive into that in another episode because this one already going pretty long <laughs> so how does yeah so this episode like kind of rounds off with evans agreeing copla could be the director and then we get that scene of joe colombo getting a reef funeral reef from uh frank sinatra and it's it's because frank really wants the he wants the picture shut down. I think that's what he's trying to tell us with this reef. He wants the picture shut down. Yeah, so the whole, the whole I, I'm just I, I'm taken aback by that incredible impression of Sinatra. Oh, no, that was my, that was my Joe Colombo there. My, uh... Oh, the Joe Colombo. It would seem they're interchangeable. The, <laughs> but, yeah, um again not subtle in the, not subtle in the slightest in these in what they're doing here but but we have to have, we have to have these bits now because we're powering through it we we 100 on the build up to what we'll see as the climax of this episode and what's to come so the whole mafia wanting the godfather shut down subplot is building up now so we have to have this moment yeah so the second to last scene and again i know i've played i played another clip but i want to play this clip because again it references something that then is in the godfather and i think it's something that i don't know i think this show gets right is kind of like these are the things that make the godfather special and it's this exchange between mario puzo and uh francis ford coppola where you going with that knife I'm going to cut the fat so that I can brown it. Brown it? My mother never browned anything. She fried it. What's the difference? We have to put this in the picture. What? A scene about gangsters arguing over sauce? No. A scene about family arguing over sauce. Huh? Huh? (laughs) Let's open another bottle of wine. I'll get it. (laughs) <laughs> that's like it's almost like that's the show i want to watch right it's like, like i, I want to watch the, the fucking mario and francis show because that's the scene i was going to rest up but I, I couldn't quite remember who was in this first episode but that bit when in the kitchen is brilliant you almost they're almost gonna high five yeah 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 i love, I love. <laughs> yeah the, i love it like the camaraderie between them and it's yeah. It is something because we get that scene between Clemenza and Michael where Clemenza's talk like he he genuinely gives us a recipe for how to make like like yeah sauce in 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 the Godfather and like this this feels like a kind of again, I guess if you hadn't if you if you're not kind of so au fait with the Godfather, you're kind of like Oh, okay, like I wonder if that will, and then yeah, if you watch the Godfather again afterwards, having not seen it for a while, you'd be like, oh yeah, that kind of probably was the oh, yeah. And I, again, I think that was there was genuine conversations about 
it's moments like that, like a moment like that really does make a film like The Godfather about family instead of mobsters. You know what I mean? It's that thing of like arguing over or having discussions about something like marinara sauce is a lot more, I don't know, human and kind of makes these makes these ice cold killers I don't know, not so frosty and like it melt away. Yeah, yeah. People people make them yeah, a lot more uh I don't know, approachable and kind of people you can root for in a weird way that I think the Godfather manages to do. But that, obviously that scene um yeah Betty and Al are kind of excited by the 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 do you know what I mean like the the enthusiasm from Mario and Francis and yeah. that is cut short. So how does this episode uh close out Will? With a gesture from your your mafia guys. Oh, Mickey Cohen, who Joe Colombo has called in, because Mickey Cohen is a guy on the West Coast. Yeah, he uh, he shoots out their back window as they're driving away. Uh, no, they're not driving away. They're parked up, aren't they? And he yeah, he shoots out their back window as a gesture and a warning. And that's pretty much how we, that is how it finishes. So, that's your dramatic moment. So how does that, how, how does that play out for you? It's like a, a an end moment for a, for, a, for a first episode. Yeah, I was on board. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I liked it. I I mean, I, I watched the second episode straight away. Even if it, if it hadn't, we weren't doing this, I would have been on board with it. Because it, it, it's pacey a little, and that is, Oh, cliffhanger, but it's a bit of, oh, we're, we're going down that road. A bit of intrigue. So, you know, yeah. yeah, and you kind of get a sense of where it's going and there's going to be these, your mafia boys are not happy. Yeah, so, like, there is um there there is an interview that came up recently with um Colum- uh, Colombo Mafia family <laughs> capo, Michael Francesi, who, who, who quashed this this actually happened i'm not sure if that is for like kind of legal ramifications but like there is some validity to it because apparently at the time that this would have happened mickey cohen was actually in prison so like i'm not sure if it was kind of a mickey cohen underling who would have still carried yeah. out yeah do you know what i mean like going to prison seems to mean nothing to mafiosos do you know what i mean is this thing like they can still run their operation inside a prison cell. Like, yeah, but yeah, I read that same thing today that um, they kind of said, "No, nah, that, nah, that didn't happen." But you would, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a lot. <laughs> you got a lot on the line. But I think it is a great kind of. Again, I, oh, I can't help but think about this, like the perception of this show for somebody who isn't kind of well versed on everything that happened with this so like i think that is a great hook as an ending moment and it's like oh shit i've got to figure out what's gonna happen next and somebody who knows like what kind of how this all plays out i was like ah i just want to watch episode two right now and like you yeah yeah. i rolled straight into episode two a lot lot, do you mean like this 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 first episode 
I know some people, there's been some scathing reviews of this show. And I, I do you know what? I, I don't quite get it. No, I don't. I don't. No, I don't get what. I, whether you're, um, you went in, when certain people went into it expecting high art about the, because I mean, I suppose the cast with Miles Teller, they are quite, you know, they are actors. And maybe people went into it with a, a, a perception of it was going to be your high end, big, dramatic telling of the the making of the Godfather, and it's but it's not, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. Yep. To be honest, I I was at the same. I there was a scene was released, wasn't it, from a, an episode that comes up before that and. Of a dinner, of a scene with a certain characters coming into it, and people went, "Oh, sh- this it does not look good." But we'll get to it. But it, <laughs> more of that. So I, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of got into. The, I came to this with a little bit of trepidation, where I thought, "Oh, this is going to be." But I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to watch more of it. All right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that that's kind of how I wanted to end this. End each episode is by being like, yeah. Like, are we are we kind of gonna are we gonna leave the gun or take the cannoli on on this one? Like, do you think people like if people have watched this first episode, do they should they leave it or should they yeah should they should they take it? Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. I I, I agree. With take you. the cannoli. I think like yeah. I don't know. I think there's so much, and I think it's very easy as well. Like if you're in like a kind of depending on your your twitter algorithm and stuff like that it's very easy to get like trapped down this thing of like film people do you know what i mean people who are like oh like all stuffy about things and i saw somebody like it being like like picking out the fact that paramount is mentioned loads in this show it's like it's a it's a film that was it's, it's a it's a show about a film that was made at paramount it's like and yeah it's made by Paramount Plus, but it does feel like it hasn't had all of the kind of the corners and edges like sanded off completely. Do you know what I mean? It does paint people in greys at least. Do you know what I mean? Not everyone's kind of painting yeah, yeah. in a good light. And again, I don't think it, it it's trying to be the greatest television show about the greatest film of all time. It it. Well, Dexter Fletcher directs the first two episodes. I think I think it's the first two. He definitely directs the first. There's a reason Dexter Fletcher directs it and not... I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but, you know, Dexter Fletcher has got a likeness attached to his films and they, they're... I mean, the guy directed Sunshine and Leith and Parts, Bohemian Rhapsody. Jimmy, he's, he's, he's not... Yeah, he did Rocket he's not, Man. He made, like, like, yeah. Rocket Man, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's his films are f- fun and they're broad and they're bright and that's what this is. It's not, we're not, this isn't, this isn't succession for the, of The Godfather. This isn't, it's a fun show. But even like, I think, I think like succession's a really good thing to bring up because I think it's always fascinating that person who directs them that first episode kind of dictates the the look of a show and obviously like people have to then match it or like keep keeping a similar tone and 
Succession was obviously the pilot was directed by uh, Adam McKay, who kind of yeah instilled this look of it of almost like I don't know almost like thought it was like a feel of the office at times where it has these kind of like sudden like zoom in yeah yeah like and I think like Dexter Fletcher was very smart in the fact because I know he was offered like oh what episodes would you like to direct and he kind of said I'll do the first two. And it's like that thing of like, oh, you get to be the kind of like tastemaker for the series. Of like, this is how it's going to look. Like, this is what we're going to kind of do with it. And then everyone kind of has to play catch up with him almost. Of like, that he set the template of what the show will be. Yeah, yeah. And I, I genuinely do hope it keeps that, that tone where it is, again, saying the same thing, but it, it's fun. It's just a good show. I can just watch. I don't. So it's the opposite of Westworld. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Westworld took something which was a simple premise, robot cowboys fucking shit up, lovely stuff, and then made it into this waffly psycho nonsense. So it's, I was like, fucking, where's the robots? <laughs> fucking shit up. Whereas this is this is what I want from this story. I, I want to see these cameos. I want to see the the fun part. Of Hollywood. Obviously, the dark side. We, there's other shows doing that. This first episode is exactly what. It's not what I expected, but now it's what I want. Perfect, perfect. Well, yeah, that feels like a, a good place to to end this. So, yeah, you, you you'll be able to join me and Will next week as we. Um, drink some wine. Have a hopefully don't have a wine about uh, the offer and enjoy nice. enjoy what we see. So um, yeah, we've both watched episode two, but we're not gonna we're not gonna divulge anything yet. But hopefully, you will be keeping up to date with the offer and our, our chats about it. And if if you if you've been yeah if you've been watching this show, please do get in touch with us and let us know what you think. So. You can always catch me on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Caged In Pod. Or you can drop me an email, which is Caged In Pod at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, just, just let, let, let's have a conversation about this show because, yeah, me and Will both found it fun. Where could people, obviously, I'll tag you in all, all the posts of this show, uh, of this episode, Will, but. Where can people find you on socials? Uh, mainly Twitter at Will Chich, and I do use Instagram at Bill Chich, but I'm not very good at it. But I, I am on there. Perfect. Well, so, yeah, yeah, that's it, really. So yeah, so we'll be this week. We will be taking the cannoli on um, the first episode of the offer, which is a take a, uh, a seat at the table. But you'll be able to join us for episode two. And we'll be discussing warning shots, also directed by Dexter Fletcher. So, until then, remember, keep caged in, and we'll catch you next time. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copal Connections. A Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network, it's family. <laughs>